Mindfulness Mode 280. Every day that you're practicing, it's like adding a log to the fire. And when that fire is blazing hot, it just, it just feels amazing. Hey, Mindful Tribe, you're listening to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm Bruce Langford, host and creator. So glad to have you with us. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining. Thanks for being here. If you're an existing listener, you're part of Mindful Tribe. It's great to have you come on board once again as a listener. Thanks again. Last time on Mindfulness Mode, I had a guest who sadly had an unfortunate reason she had to become a minimalist. What she did is quite astounding. She got rid of so much, made her life simpler, made her life better, and now she teaches others how to do the same. I really appreciated Courtney Carver, and I think you will too. It was episode 279, so just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash 279. Yesterday, I interviewed four exciting new guests for Mindfulness Mode. I was reading their books, I was doing research, and I was very pumped, but I noticed I wasn't as focused as I could have been. And I put an essential oil into my diffuser, and it was called Concentrate. So it was a mixture of some different scents. And after about 15 minutes, I was noticing how focused I felt and I noticed how on track I felt and I'm going to be sharing more with you about some of these essential oils I'm using in the future but stay tuned because essential oils can make a big difference in your life. Today I'm interviewing a man who is a fellow Canadian and he's all about helping the planet, he's all about helping people and he's all about health. I totally enjoyed interviewing Scott, and I think you will enjoy listening to the interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Scott Simons. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I have a very interesting guy with me today, Scott Simons. Scott, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm doing my best to always be in mindfulness mode. (laughs) (laughs) It's so great to have you with us, Scott, today. Scott Simons is an ecopreneur, which means he puts people, purpose, and the planet before profit. I wish more people would do that. Scott's mission is to inspire a daily practice of health. And to fulfill this mission, he created three social businesses. In 2004, he co-founded the Padua Center, a community wellness center offering meditation, yoga, and group dialogue sessions. In 2006, he co-founded Desta Black Youth Network, helping marginalized youth aged 18 to 25 get back on track. And also in 2006, he founded Organic, a wellness broker company. So Scott is... Uh, very busy being a yoga teacher and a trainer and a health coach and doing all these things. He's been doing that since 2006. And according to Scott, his greatest source of inspiration is found in his daily practice of health. So much to talk about, Scott. What does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness, in my mind, comes down to focusing. Um, I think focusing on the breath is probably the easiest one or the simplest one to focus on. But when I think of being mindful, I think of being focused. 
Well, and I agree with you. It's very important to be focused and to be centered and grounded. Well, you were focused enough that you were able to implement a center, a wellness center, and you did that in 2004. You co-founded the Padua Center. And what took you to that point? How were you able to actually implement and, and co-found that center? I actually started the center with my mentor. His name is Steve Sims, the author of a great book called uh, River of Awareness. And he was the one who introduced me to these practices of spirituality and getting more into religion and stuff. I didn't have any of these practices. So when he was back in town, he had left Montreal, was back in town and was given this church to transform into a spirituality slash community center. And I had always dreamed of doing something like this. Mm -hmm. And um, we started together and these practices just came in naturally because he was practicing these and he introduced them to me in a way that very, very simple, very experience-based. I remember my first meditation class, my first yoga class, and feeling this deep sense of relaxation that I'd never felt in my life and said, okay, I need to learn more about these practices and was pretty hooked uh, right the first time I tried them. And are you still partnering with Steve? Steve is still in my life. He's left the Padua Center in Desta. He's, he's retired now and has his cabin on a, on a river and, and, and is very happy out there. But we ran the center for maybe about three, four years until I started running organic and then got very busy running the, the for-profit business. And, uh, but he's still in my life and still a mentor. And now we're, we're much more friends uh, than anything else. Oh, so the center's still running, but do you still teach there? I still at, uh, so the Padua Center then became Desta. Desta grew very oh. quickly and now they've taken over the, the space. We still run yoga and meditation through the center, but Desta, uh, the, the project for marginalized youth is pretty much what has taken over the space. So I'm on the board of directors there. I'm on the marketing committee, the fundraising committee, um, and help out as much as I can. Okay, so personally, then a lot of your focus is with organic now. Is that correct? That's the main. That's the main focus. That's what pays the bills, and it's it's pretty much bringing mindfulness, yoga, tai chi, pilates, nutrition, consulting, anything that makes employees healthier while they're at work. Um, and it's funny, meditation is becoming more and more popular. When I started organic in 2006, there was no way I could use that word. I'd lose a deal if I said meditation or conscious breathing. Now, not only do they want meditation, they're getting into breathing techniques. They want to do ohms after the meditation. Uh, so you can see, I can definitely see the, the, the change is happening. The transformation is happening very quickly. Oh, that's great. And so when did you become focused on helping to save the planet and to make things better for the planet itself? Um, that's, that's a good question. I think it comes with these practices in my mind, the yoga, the meditation, um, in yoga, one of the, one of the practices that is a ahimsa, which means nonviolence. And I don't think you become vegetarian when you be, to become a yoga teacher. I think you just become more and more aware of what's going on with the food you're eating, the planet that you're on. And then naturally you start to, to choose and to become more aware and more proactive and, and you start to see the destruction that's going on and you just can't hide from it. So um, I'd say it started to happen much more proactively about f three or four years ago when I did the Al Gore leadership training, uh, climate leadership training, and since then have been much more of an activist or active in the, uh, in the environment um, sort of direction. 
Are you a vegetarian? Uh, I'm very plant-based. I'd say I'm vegetarian, probably a flexitarian, 95.5. I, I do still enjoy the taste of meat. So if I go to somebody's place and there's meat there, I'll eat it. Um, however, I do feel more and more it's easier to become vegetarian because I feel the effects of it. I can almost feel the pain that the animals have gone through and the awful conditions they're being brought up in. And um, it just doesn't resonate deeply with me anymore. And the more conscious you get, the more aware you get, the more you feel the dissonance when you're eating something or saying something. And it's, it, it's very hard to deal with, you know, so uh, um, you just want to be on track as much as possible. So are those the two reasons that you're mostly a vegetarian? First of all, because the pain of the animals and secondly, because you're helping to save the planet. Is that true? I'd say initially, probably, probably more now, but initially when I got into it, it was the effects of uh, the meat industry on the planet. And now more and more, I just, I just feel something in me. I don't, you know, don't want to sound too, you know, hokey pokey, but uh, there's something that I feel, I feel the connection to the animal and I just know what they're going through to get to our plate. And I don't want to have anything to do with that industry. And what about your own health? Do you, is that also a reason for being a vegetarian? Yeah, that I, I'd say, uh, you know, initially one of the reasons was the, with the health too. I wanted to explore what meat was doing to me. I was starting to read about it, getting very conscious about the stress that these animals are going through and very acid environment when you're eating the, this meat. So I'd say that's probably the third reason now are the, uh, the health benefits because I do feel lighter and fresher and, you know, more aware and I don't lose as much energy when I'm eating. Um, so that's probably the third reason. So do you think a lot about acid alkaline when you choose foods to eat? Definitely. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, in my mind, uh, disease can only thrive in an acid environment, even though I know the body is always alkaline and, uh, you know, doctors will say you don't really need to worry about that that much because the body is always alkaline. I do still feel I want to put as much alkalinity into my body and, and try and get away from the acid. So I'll have a beer from time to time and wine and stuff, not like I used to. But um, even that I can feel the next day, you know, from one glass of wine or two beers or something, or if I've eaten something that's more acid, I can, I can feel that my body's a bit off a bit. And so do you just automatically remember which foods are acidic or do you have a chart that you check? Because I mean, I noticed that some foods that I would think are acidic are not, and some foods that I think are alkaline are not. So sometimes I get tricked. What about you? I had that at the beginning on my fridge. I had the the, the list because it's true. There are some things that I didn't think, like fruits and uh, especially fruit, uh, some of them are very acidic. So I wasn't aware of that pretty much. Anything that's green is alkaline. You know, that's how much, that's how I know. But the more and more you follow a, a very a good sort of vegetarian and, and vegan diet, uh, the more and more you're heading into that direction. But yeah, it was good in the beginning to have had the list. Now I, I've just not been doing it for so long that I kind of kind of know what to do. So how much of this is mindfulness, you know, being aware of what foods to eat, being aware of how the different foods make you feel? Do you think that's pretty much connected to mindfulness? I'd say it's all connected to mindfulness in my mind. Yes. Uh, these yes. are the side effects, you know, of, of mindfulness. You know, the, the main effect for me with a mindful practice or a meditation practice is I have a very tough and critical mind. So my, my main, um, the main benefit is taming that mind. 
the side effects are a healthier life and a healthier planet and healthier decisions, but they stem from that mind, a much more tamed mind. And instead of leading my life more from the ego or from the mind, much more spirit, if I want to use that word, spirit-driven life. And so tell us about your meditation in your life. What does it look like personally? Yeah, so going back to the Padua Center in 2004 when I met the meditation teacher, it was it was great because it was a meditation and yoga teacher. And I did lots of yoga with him, but I still felt there was something in this guy that, that was different from the other yoga teachers. So when I asked him, he said, it's easy, it's Vipassana. He had done, I think, 17 or 18 Vipassana, 10-day meditation retreats in silence where you can't speak or look at any other people. It's very introspective. Uh, so I went to do that practice. And uh, since then, pretty much, you know, 98% of the days I'll get up and have now it's probably a 20, 22 is my favorite number. So I have a, I start with a 22 minute practice uh, just to ground my energy. Um, and, uh, and that's probably the practice that I do every single day, more than yoga, more than the gym, more than running, more than anything else. I rarely, rarely, rarely skip a day with meditation because every day that you're practicing it's like adding a log to the fire and when that fire is blazing hot it just it just feels amazing and is it silent meditation or do you use a some kind of guided meditation what's it like it's with the training of vipassana you you when you come out of there you're i felt i was trained enough to have a silent meditation i do from time to time use guided meditations on insight timer when i want to do more of a uh, a real relaxation relaxation session, let's say in the afternoon, if I'm tired, I'll, I'll get a guided meditation going through, going through my body, let's say. Um, but if not, the morning is silent, it's grounded, it's focused, it's in my own space. And then I know that from that point on, I've, I've grounded my energy, I've, I've tamed the mind a, a bit more, and I can lead from my spirit, hopefully for the rest of the day with all the the work that I'm doing. Let's go back to that first Vipassana that you went to. What was it like? What were your feelings? You know, it was 10 days, right? Tell us all about it. 10 day meditation. I'd never meditated before, um, maybe a couple of times before. So I had no idea what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. It was an extremely difficult uh, 10 days for myself. Um, uh, The main reason why it was so difficult was the physical sitting. Um, Vipassana, they, you, you, it's a lot of sitting from 4.30 in the morning almost straight through till 9.30 at night. You have breaks and stuff, but my hips, my knees, my back just weren't strong enough or trained enough to sit in meditation for one to two hour periods. And there are three one hour periods during that day that you can't move if possible. And that was just killer in the beginning. And I remember on day 10, I wanted to get that one hour in and we had the three times. So the first hour I tried, I didn't get it. The second hour, I didn't get it. And finally, the third one, the last meditation of, the t- of those 10 days, I was able to sit and not move or you know, get into reaction mode for one hour. And it felt, it felt amazing. So it was, it, was, it was very difficult physically. Um, mentally, of course, the mind is going crazy for the first three, four days. And then it starts to settle in this beautiful silence. This beautiful space comes in, this beautiful wisdom that I'd never really tasted before starts to settle in and you start to understand the power of of this practice. And did you become sick physically because it was so difficult for you? 
I didn't become sick physically, but I, I became sick and tired of doing it at one point. You know, oh, just, did you? Uh, but not not sick physically. Um, but I had to move. There were times that I just couldn't do it, and I was starting to get very critical. And seeing other people being to be able to do it, so start to compare. You know, things that, which is part of the teaching. You know, is part of the was part of the teaching. But no, I I didn't get sick. But um, it's definitely not an easy process. But it's a, it's a well worth it going to Vipassana. I feel. Where did you go to do this? I did it here in Montreal. So I'm in Montreal. Uh, the first two times were in Sutton, a uh, beautiful, beautiful space. And the third time was in their their new center, which is much bigger, uh, different vibe. But um, the teaching is still there. You know. I see. And how many people were doing it at the same time as you? The first times it was a smaller center. So it was maybe 25 men, 25 women. Now, uh, and we used to be in the same room, even though it's segregated, you couldn't look at the men and, and uh, you know, the women, let's say. And now it's men on one side, women on the other side, and we must be, I don't know, it's 70 in there. They're way more, it's a much bigger center. And so how many have you now done? Uh, I've done three. And I've planned, I've tried to do the fourth one almost every year, sort of in the past five years. Something always will get in the way. So it's, you're always tested. Do you really want to do this? And because there's always, there's always be a, an opportunity that will come against, you know, uh, the Vipassana. So um, I want to do one early January, if possible, is my next, my next target. Okay. Do you have a family or a partner, someone that you have to kind of work this out with? Um, not at the moment. In the past, my first two, there was, I uh, had a woman in my life, my girlfriend, and mm-hmm. she was very, very supportive. She understood why I was doing it and she saw the benefits. And it was actually wonderful for the couple as well, too, because you come back and you're so much more aware of the people in your life and the people you love. You you love them even you know more deeply. And the people that aren't really helping your life, you can disconnect them with, with them. So it, it's, it's such a beautiful detoxification. And for my yoga practice as well, too, every time I come out of Vipassana, my practice, my body seems to be so much more open because you're getting rid of so much crap in the body as well, too, not just in the mind, but you're getting rid of all these uh, splinters, you know, in the mind and the body. So have you remained connected to anyone that was in the Vipassana with you? No, because you don't, I didn't feel connected to anybody there really because you're in your own little zone. And on that 10th day or 10th day and a half or something, when you can start to talk, I don't really even talk to people. Just that the mix from 10 days of silence to jumping into talking to people, I needed more time. You know, it takes me at least a day coming out of Vipassana before I can start to talk to people. And I used to love speeding on the highway. And when I came out of Vipassana the first time, I think I was going 85 on the highway. I mean, cars were passing me, but I couldn't go, I couldn't go faster. I was just so mindful of the speed of everything that was going on and yeah, I didn't need to go faster. <laughs> and did you find that your eating habits changed during those 10 days? Were you eating minimally? In the beginning, I was eating a lot. Back then, I was much more into gym work. And, you know, I was maybe 15 pounds bigger in terms of body weight. And my ego was much more connected to my body. So I didn't want to lose weight. I hated losing weight. So I was pounding on the the meals and just, you know, eating as much as I could. But then towards day six, day seven, day eight, you start to feel the energy that goes into eating a lot of food and you don't want to lose energy because you're sitting so much. So naturally you'll start to eat less. And then the third, second and third ones, I sort of knew that strategy. So I didn't eat as much. You don't need to eat uh, as much because you're sitting all day. 
And uh, even now to the day, I realize with my conscious eating, um, I don't need to eat as much, not just because I'm in meditation, just because the body can can fuel on so much less than we than we think. So were you sitting on the floor cross-legged or were you in a chair? Uh, for all the three that I've done, you, you have the option of the chair. If you can do it physically, because I remember the first medit- the first Vipassana I did, I had cushions underneath me. I had a little thing on my back. And I went to see the teacher at one point and he says, Scott, you have to get rid of your crutches. And I mean, what do you mean my crutches? He says, all these little pillows and things. You're 30 years old. You're a strong guy. You have to sit through it. You have to get through it. Um, so initially I was sitting with lots of cushions and stuff. And then that final day that I talked about that I finally got to that one hour, I didn't have any cushions or props. And now the second and third one uh, with the yoga practice I have since now I can sit, you know, sitting in an, an hour meditation, not easy, but I can definitely get through it without any, any props or any uh, cushions and stuff. Let's talk about your exercise schedule. What kind of exercise do you get in your own life? Okay, well, you're, you're, you're honing in on a guy that has quite a daily practice. I'm, I'm, I'm quite disciplined, um, only because I felt the, the, the freedom of discipline. Discipline leads to freedom, they say. And, um, you know, I've, I have a past of not being very, very disciplined. So once I got into these practices, they transformed my life. But pretty much on, on let's say, a, a day where I'm getting up and I'm focused on my practice, I'll get up at five. And then I'll do a practice of uh, heart coherence, which is a, a breathing uh, technique for about three minutes, which grounds my energy. Then I'll do the 22-minute practice. Um, I'll do pranayama, so breathing techniques. And then I'll jump on my spin bike and do about 45 minutes of spinning just to get sweat going. And then I'll do very gentle um, weight training, normally with my own weight, like dips, chin-ups, push-ups, and some TRX, so suspension training. And that grounds my day. That I don't see that as a going to the gym, and this is sort of the foundation to my day. That's the daily practice, what it looks like. Do you ever do any inversion? Uh, inversion practices in terms of like in yoga or anything like that. I'll, I'll, I practice, I'm practicing the handstand a lot these days. Are you? Um, and, I'll, and I'll do a headstand from time to time because I, I love inversions. And um, uh, I try to get 30 seconds to a minute of handstand in every single day as well. I see. Yeah, I've, I've talked to different guests that, that hang upside down for a certain period of time okay. or, you know, something like that because they believe it reverses gravity or, it, you know, that gravity is pulling us down all the time. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, th- I think it's excellent if you can do that and you have the um, the equipment to do that. Um, so inversions are definitely great for your spinal column because if you're we're standing all day or sitting all day, the pressure it puts on your lumbar spine or your sacrum and you know coccyx region is is way beyond what we can imagine. So if you're inverted, uh, the weight it just you can just feel it. It feels so good for your for your back. So if yeah, if you can do that, I don't have that practice per se of just letting myself hang. Um, but there are some wall wall yoga classes that I go to where they do have that inversion and it feels wonderful. And it also brings oxygen rich blood right down to the brain. So you're feeding your brain as well. So there's so many benefits and also your vital organs will be inverted, which that rarely happens. So if you can fit that in, hey, why not? What are your thoughts on processed sugar? Do you ingest those? Um, I will from time to time, but I go down to, I think it's, 
the omnivore dilemma, eat food, not too much, and mostly uh, greens or mostly plants is what he says, I think. Um, but I'll go back to eating food. If it's a food, if it doesn't have ingredients on the side, like broccoli doesn't have ingredients on the side, so I'll eat broccoli. So where I'll get my sugar is with dates. You know, I love, that's where I, I like sugar. So uh, I, I try to stay away from it as much as possible because I see what it does to the body. And what does it do to the body? Well, you'll get a spike, you know, in, in energy, which feels great at the beginning. Um, and then, and then you'll, then you'll just lose the energy quite quickly. Right. Um, so I don't know exactly what goes on inside, but I know the insulin and just, it's just fake. It's fake sugar and your body, it's like a language which you're putting into your body in terms of nutrition. It's like a language. If you're putting stuff in the body that the body cannot read, it will not process it well. So if you're putting stuff in that has all kinds of ingredients that your grandmother couldn't read, you know, you're in trouble. You know? Right. And speaking of languages, I know that you speak uh, French as well as English. And I wonder if there's a mindfulness element there that helps you communicate in a different way, helps you be aware of how different words have different meanings, different languages, that kind of thing, because many of us don't speak more than one language. Can you speak on that? It's a good question. I've, I guess I've never thought of it that much but but much but the thought that comes up especially when i'm teaching yoga i either teach english or french classes or bilingual classes and it's it's quite interesting to watch my body and mind are very very different when i'm teaching in french and if i'm especially when teaching bilingual it's just interesting to see the words that come up to explain something in english and in french um, and the mindfulness that's needed to do that. It's, it's a real focus if you're giving a, a quite an advanced, let's say, yoga class and you have to do it bilingually. Um, mindfulness definitely kicks in for me. <laughs> I would think um, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. And, and you are starting a podcast and you're going to do some episodes in French, some episodes in English. Tell us about your new podcast you're planning. Yeah, so we... we think we found the name. It's called the Spirit Bros Podcast. Even though I put that on Facebook and a few people responded, a few women responded, said, we don't feel very included in that title, which, uh, which is great feedback. Um, but I'm starting with my spirit bro. Uh, his name's Pete. He's a new guy in my life. I have lots of great bros and friends in my life, but not from sort of the new Scott, the more mindful, uh, health conscious Scott. And he's definitely on that path, a yoga teacher. Uh, what's great is that I'm more vegan and vegetarian. He's paleo. So we have different, you know, perspectives on, on eating and life. Um, but we love, uh, yeah, we love speaking together. We're going to love building this together. And it's on the focus is health, wellness, and ecopreneurship or social business or conscious capitalism. Um, and we're going to launch that in January, hopefully. Uh, and with your coaching, um, it, it, I hope it's going to be a great success. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Yeah, it was it was a pleasure to talk with you a few days ago about that and give yeah. you some tips and some ideas. Well, you know, I always ask a question about bullying. Do you yeah. have a story about bullying that you can share with us? Uh, in terms of bullying, I know that when I was, so I was born in Quebec City, a very, okay. very French uh, city. And uh, I only learned French when I was 13, pretty much. I knew a bit of French, but I went from English elementary school to French high school. And back then, definitely uh, being the English kid and also coming from quite a big business family, I was an easy target to laugh at with my, with, with the French, uh, with my French accent. And um, 
So that's, that's the bullying. I never really got bullied on in terms of physicalness or, but in terms of laughing at my language. Uh, and that happened for, that happened a lot. And it would really get me to react in the beginning. I take it very, very personally. It took me years before not to, taking my sort of French accent personally until now I just accept it. And I speak much better French. But in the beginning, that's where people would pick on me the most. And how did you deal with it when they picked on you? I mean, you've, you've kind of alluded to that, but how did you get through it all? Yeah, well, I mean, normally I, I just get even more shy and I wouldn't speak as much. Oh. But how I got through it, I mean, uh, I think it's a funny thing, but sports really helped me out. I got very good in basketball and got more and more friends. And I think I got respect or, you know, with sports and stuff that people wouldn't laugh at me as much. I was also six foot three and, you know, a bit taller than, than the other people. So when you're laughing at me, I could, I could defend myself. Um, and I think just with the practice of getting better and better in French and when people start to get to know you, they won't, they won't pick on you as much once you have a relationship with the people. But in the beginning, uh, it wasn't super rough, but it it wasn't an easy ride, let's say. (laughs) I want to uh, move forward as we get closer to the end of the interview and ask you five quick answer questions. Yeah. The first one, Scott, is this. Who is one person who has really influenced you in your mindfulness? I mean, the easier answer would be uh, would be Steve because he's the mentor. Um, and But another, I was, you know, Kabat-Zinn, I'd say, is really, he's sort of the classic answer, but his, his book, uh, Full Catastrophe Living, uh, that got me to really understand, you know, the difference between reaction and response and just starting to unpack stress and uh, becoming more responsive to life and more creative instead of always in reaction mode. So I'd say he was uh, indirectly somebody who helped me not through his videos and stuff, but through his books. Very good. Yeah. John Kabat-Zinn is a wonderful, wonderful mentor. That's for sure. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Scott? Well, I think they, it helps calm them down or I think what it does, because it's hard to, to slow down the reaction. I think the reaction is always going to be there and we want it to be there, the fight or flight or, you know, um, but it's created a bit more space between the reaction and the response, you know, more and more initially it went from one second to now I, I see if somebody's cutting me off on the, on the highway or somebody pisses me off, I can see the emotion come up anger because emotions are beautiful. It's just how we deal with them. That's, that's the problem, you know, or, or the solution. And so I see the anger coming up and I'll choose my reaction much more now. So I'd say that, I mean, that's ginormous if, in terms of my life because I used to be quite much more reactive and I could get mad very quickly and quite, you know, um, anyway, it could be explosive at times. But now I've, I've calmed that down and created the space between the reaction and the response. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. You talked a little bit about that as well. I'd yeah. like you to kind of elaborate a bit if you don't mind. I'd say the the foundation to optimal health is is breathing and more specifically conscious breathing. So we breathe about 20,000 times a day and how many of those are unconscious. And really the link between relaxation and stress or stress and relaxation is one conscious breath. So I'd say at the foundation, even of my meditation practice, even before that, which is you know, probably the first practice I think of, and now you brought it up, is the breath practice. So it's to just catch myself in any situation, which is pretty much the informal meditation practice, is when I'm driving, I'll come back to the breath. In a meeting with a client or in my yoga classes, I'll come back to the breath as much as possible, just to know that I'm 
and I'm, I'm responding from there and not reacting from the ego. So the breath in my mind is the most effective tool to tame the ego, to tame the mind. And instead of that mind being an enemy or, uh, you know, a mean voice in your, in your, in your head, it can become your ally. It can, be, it can become your best friend, your consultant. And that I feel starts with the breath. You've mentioned Full Catastrophe, Living yeah. by John Kabat-Zinn. Is that the book you would recommend connected to mindfulness or is there another one? Uh, this book, I've got it here beside me. I'm looking at it. It's, it's, it's a dense book. It's, it's a textbook. Um, you know, the, uh, another book, another great book that comes to mind, it's not necessarily a meditation book per se, but well, I guess the power of now by Eckhart Tolle and especially his, his book, a new earth, a new earth really transformed my practice from understanding. He unpacks the ego in that book, especially for the, so the lay person who was just jumping into spirituality, doesn't know where to start. I'd probably start there. Um, because he unpacks the ego in terms of, you know, how to be more reactive. And uh, um, I'd say that book is probably an easier book than full catastrophe, catastrophe living. But this book, in terms of understanding the stress response, understanding reaction versus response, and going more into the depth of what meditation is, uh, full catastrophe living is a good one, but maybe as the second or third book. <laughs> I'll, I'll put all of these links into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Scott, I wanted to ask you about an app. I know you mentioned Insight Timer as well. Maybe you have another app too. I don't know. The other one I, I use for um, heart coherence, which is a simple uh, breathing technique where you inhale five seconds, you exhale five seconds. Uh, it's, it's actually in French though, but it's called Respire Relax, which means uh, to breathe and relax. So it's uh, R-E-S-P-I-R-E-L-A-X. Um, and it's just a simple a little dot that goes up for five seconds, the dot that goes down for five seconds. And I'll do that for three minutes, three to five minutes before going into a tough meeting or before giving a yoga class. So I did it before this just to know that I'm grounded in my practice um, so that I could send you that information. Because um, hard coherence is a beautiful, beautiful practice that can... Um, that can go hand in hand, that can be your meditation sort of best buddy. All right. Well, I know your website is beorganic.com with organic being spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-K. Is there any other suggestion you have about how Mindful Tribe can connect with you and learn more about what you do? You know, I'm, I'm very open with leaving my email, you know, scott at beorganic.com if they want to email me directly. They can find me on Instagram as well too, organic MTL, like Montreal MTL. Okay. Um, or just go directly to the website and just send me an email. I love getting feedback. I love anything that's about coaching, health coaching, uh, or ideas about you know the new podcast or whatever. Yeah, I'm super open to to conversations around this stuff. Scott, I'm very impressed by what you've accomplished, by your discipline and your focus on, on helping the planet and helping people to be more healthy. Thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time a couple of weeks ago for uh, coaching me in, in podcasting and for being, this is my first podcast ever. So thank you for this as well, too. You broke the ice. My pleasure. <laughs> Great to have you on, Scott. Take care. Thank you so much. Ciao. Yep. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. 
Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.